0: I am geeked out about starting the Gospel of John. I am—I I had more fun last Sunday sh- sharing with you the the bigness and the hugeness and the awesomeness of God than I've had in a long time. I—I I, I dig the stars. I dig the creation. That whole 93 million miles to the sun and how long it would take to drive there. I love that stuff, <laughs> and so I really enjoyed last Sunday. And I'm so excited for the next year. We're going to spend the next year in the Gospel of John and, uh, and, and just tearing this thing apart and, and taking our time with it and chewing on it and meditating and just seeing how wonderful our God is. It's overwhelming for me to think that the things that we learned about our God last week, first that, that He's eternal that's, that's the very first words of the, the Gospel of John. In the beginning. That means He's always been. You and I, we, we are eternal in the sense that we will live on forever, but we don't have that same attribute that God has that He is eternal In that He always was. You and I had a beginning. Our God is eternal. Always has been. That He is eternal, that He is omnipotent, that He is all-powerful, that there, there is nothing that He cannot do. There is no rock that He can build that He can't push. There is, He has all the power. And the, and the way we saw that in the Gospel of John last week was it said, He created. You and I can't do that. Oh, I'm creative. I can draw. Yes, yes, God has given us some creativity. But what God did was He created everything from nothing you can't do that I can't do that the story goes you know as, as Satan was saying you know as as Jesus was creating Satan was there and he's like ah oh, that's no big deal I, I could make that ball of dirt I could do that and, and God God the Father looks at him and goes well go ahead you go ahead and create something so Satan grabs a bunch of dirt and he starts to form it all together and he says oh wait 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 get your own dirt." Get your own dirt. And so, God creates from nothing. God is eternal. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. He knows everything. And it's not like you and I know things where if we think hard enough, we can remember what we had for dinner last night. Oh yeah. That's what we know. God doesn't recollect anything. He knows everything like immediate. So you say to God, um, what was the weather in, you know, Tuscaloosa, Alabama on May 15th, 1947? And boom, he knows. Doesn't have to research it, doesn't have to try to remember it, doesn't have to think about it. He knows. I want to blow your mind even further than that, get into the attributes of God and and how he is outside of time. We won't we won't go there. He's in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. May 15th, 1947, as much as he is right here, right now. This is awesome. So all that to say, our God is really, really big. As As we talked about in Isaiah chapter 40, it says that he holds the universe, the heavens, in the span of his hand. And so as we look at wonder the wonders of creation, our God controls them all. He holds the, the, hollow, or the sorry, the waters in the hollows of His hand. He measures mountains in a scale. Our God is really, really big. And that God, the one who spoke all things into existence, the one that created all things, we got down to verse 14, and it said, He came and dwelt with us. It says he tabernacled with us. He put on the ugly outer skin of a human and lived with us in love. I'm sorry. I hope you you meditated on it this week. It blew my mind as I studied last week. And then just as as I would recollect to last Sunday, I'm just like, thank you, Lord. God, you're so good. God, you're so wonderful. You are the Everything bows to you, God, but yet you came to us. Thank you, Jesus, for your loving heart. We're going to get to John 3.16 probably in a month or so. Everybody knows John 3.16. It's the one they hold up at the football games, you know. God so loved us. God so loved you and I that he gave his son that we might have eternal life. And hope that as we study the book of John over the next year, the, the, the grandness of God, the bigness of God, the, the loveliness of God will become all the more apparent to our hearts. And, and the smallness of us and the brokenness of us and the sin nature of us will make us feel very, very small. Because then when you look at what Jesus did, that is is amazing grace it's awesome it's awesome we'll keep studying let's pray (sighs) Jesus thank you for your love and your grace and I pray that this morning would be a blessing to you and to your name and for us that are here God I love this church I love these people I ask you pour out your spirit upon us God as we study your word that we would come to know you more God that we would fall all the more in love with you, and that we would get a hold of that picture, a very, very, very big God becoming very small, that you might show your love to us. And we thank you for that. God, I pray that you would help me to rightly divide your word, and that I wouldn't lead anybody to the right or to the left, God. Help me to speak clearly and plainly that no one would be confused, and that we would all leave this place knowing you and loving you more, in Jesus' name, amen. So as we finished up last week, this dude rolls on the scene. His name is John the Baptist. And uh, um, and so we're going to read a little bit more about him today. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus, son of, uh, of uh, Elizabeth, Mary's sister, about six months older than Jesus, had been born six months before Jesus. And he's come in with the intent and the purpose to declare the glory of the Lord to proclaim the goodness of our God, to be a witness unto him. And so we're going to study a little bit more about John the Baptist. And what did we say last week about him just before we get into our text? That Jesus said of John the Baptist that there wasn't anybody better. Nobody born of woman was greater than John the Baptist. Well, okay then, Jesus, maybe we should look at John the Baptist and say, hey, there's a model for us. There's an example for us. In Matthew chapter 11, he says it this way, 11.11. Jesus said, Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Nobody better than John. How many people here were born of women? I'm sorry, you all were. You all were. So are you better than John the Baptist? No. Not according to the Scriptures. But, but, the Scripture goes on to say, Matthew chapter 11 goes on to say, but, love that word, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Is greater than he. And so in Christ, we have uh, uh, an elevation above the best of men. But... With that, we can look at John the Baptist and we can look at his model and we can say, well, it's a good example for you and I. His life was all about pointing to the Christ. We're going to pick up in verse 19. okay? John 1, 19. Speaking of John the Baptist. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Love that about John. These dudes roll in, Levites and priests. These are pretty important people in the society, probably somewhat intimidating. Not to John. John, I don't think, was intimidated by much. The dude ate locusts. (laughs) But they roll onto the scene. John is baptizing there in the Jordan, and they're like... What are you doing? Who, who are you? I love John's answer. He doesn't answer their question. He doesn't say who he is. He says who he, he's not. I am not the Christ. I, that tells me that John's purpose, that John's life, that John thinking in John's mind is saying it doesn't matter who I am. You're asking the wrong question. It's of no importance who I am because my life is all about pointing to the one that's coming. Pointing to the Christ. And so, sir, you ask the wrong question. It, It doesn't matter who I am. I am not the Christ. Clear, precise. John is quick to say, nope, I'm not the one you're looking for. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So we need to kind of define those and fit. What, what, why would they ask him, Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? What, what? Well, they knew the scriptures, they knew that the prophecies that were out there about the Messiah coming, about Jesus the Savior coming. They were aware of the things to look for. As as the Old Testament closes in the book of Malachi, the last couple of verses, Malachi, the author, says, hey, look for this. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Okay, so there's a day coming, a great and dreadful day, that the Lord is coming, and before that happens, he... The uh, Malachi the prophet says, I'm going to send you Elijah. So they ask John, are you Elijah? No. No, I'm not. Which is interesting because remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist? That he comes in the spirit of Elijah? But he was not Elijah. Why? Because John the Baptist wasn't ushering in the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That day is yet to come. That's the day of judgment. John the Baptist was ushering in the 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 atoning grace of God through Jesus Christ. And so he says, no, I'm not Elijah. Well, then are you the prophet, the prophet? What's that about? Well, that goes back to Deuteronomy when Moses was hanging around. And they said in, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, this is what Moses says about somebody that's coming after me. He says, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me unto him ye shall hearken i I teach out of the new king james for some reason when i clicked this into my sermon it copied in the king james but i like it (laughs) i like it in this instant like unto me unto him ye shall hearken in other words listen to the dude that's what he's saying listen to him listen to him and so they say, are you that prophet? Are you the one that Moses talked of that said that, that's, that we're supposed to listen to? John, quick, again, no. No, I'm not him. Not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. Still hasn't answered their question. Who are you? They said to them in verse 22, who are you <laughs> that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? I love that John's not interested in talking about himself. Every answer he's given so far is an indication that I don't care about myself. I'm not talking about myself. But they pin him down. They say, who are you? What do you say for yourself? And so he says, verse 23, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I'm out here standing in the middle of the Jordan River, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and I'm shouting, repent! Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a, there's a, a, a grand thing is getting ready to happen. I'm out here making the path straight for my God. I'm doing what God has called me to do to, to, to be a witness unto him. He's going to say, I don't even know who this guy is yet, but I'm being faithful to who God, God what God wants me to do. I'm going to make the crooked straight. I'm going to make the path plain. That's what it would say in Isaiah. And remember, as we were studying through Kings, Remember, Isaiah was overarching all of that. And as, as all these kings kept bringing in idol worship and, and worship in high places and worship in, false worship in the temple and, and temple prostitutes and, and, and God was getting pushed to the back seat, it made a lot of sense why Isaiah would say, we need to make the path to the Lord straight again because all this was going down. And, and John picks up that call. I, I want to make it plain. I want everybody to know just how easy and simple and true and straight it is to come to Jesus. I'm a forerunner. I'm making the path straight, is what he says. Now it tells us in verse 24 now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. The who? the Pharisees. And we need to introduce ourselves to these guys because they're going to be in the scene as we read through the book of John a lot. The Pharisees were a, a group of people, a, a, a religious group there in the culture. They were part of the Sanhedrin. They were elevated to ruling over the land and the nation and the people. What you need to know about the Pharisees is they were very, very pious. They thought the world of themselves. They were all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> and they had it going on and they they ran the t-shirt company and they sold you the t-shirts and they they everybody looked to us cuz we got it figured out on the way things go on. Now what was interesting about in, the, in that day, they had the group, the Pharisees, that believed certain doctrine and certain uh, things about, especially after death. And then there was another group that was also part of the Sanhedrin that they, they kind of worked together at the same time. The San, uh, Sadducees had a different view on um, you know, their religious beliefs, and they, they clashed. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees really hated each other, except when it came to persecuting Jesus. Then they they came together. Oh, we'll put our differences aside to bring this guy down. But we're going to see the Pharisees and the Sadducees jumping in out of the scene a lot. And they're just troublemakers for for Jesus. Not that Jesus has trouble with them, but uh, He handles them well. That's who the Pharisees are. And that's who's asking the questions then of John the Baptist. And so verse 25, they continue in their interrogation and they asked Him saying, well, If you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he, capital H, he who is coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He says these things were done in Bethlehem beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so they ask him, well, if you're not these guys, what are you doing out here? Why are you baptizing people? Well, baptism was a symbol of repentance in those days. That was the message of John the Baptist to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven and is at hand. And he says, look, I'm trying to make the path straight. I'm baptizing with water. There's one coming greater than me. I'm spending my life trying to point toward him. And you guys need to figure that out is what he's basically saying. And, and, and this guy that's coming, this Savior, this Messiah that's coming is so great, so wonderful, so lofty that I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Now, that's a significant saying in that day and age, because that you think about that, you help your kids do that or whatever, and it's no big deal to take somebody's shoes off or help them if somebody has trouble, you know, it's not a big deal. But in that day and age, that was the lowest of low servants' jobs. If you were entry level, just starting out, you know, it's like the fry cook at McDonald's, you know, the, the first job they teach you is how to push the button to let the fries down, right? I don't know, I've never worked at McDonald's, but I've, I've been told that. <laughs> But it's like the entry level position. This is where you start. You start by when people come into the the master's house, you take off their shoes and you wash their feet. It's the lowest of low jobs, because their feet would be dusty from walking on the dusty roads, and 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 that was a nicety as somebody entered into your house, you would take care of it. But it was a very dirty job, and it was it was it was so low. How low was it? It was so low <laughs> that um, rabbis. When, when, when rabbis would walk around in those days, they would have people, students that would follow them, and the rabbis were typical um, to ab- abuse their students. They would, they would take advantage of them. Hey, go do this for me. Hey, I'd like a pitcher of water. Would you go get that for me? Yes, you're my student, but you're also my servant. Well, they had a, a rule in that day that if you, if, you had, if you were a rabbi with students, the one thing you couldn't make your student do was untie your shoes. That's reserved for the lowest of low. And now look at what John's saying about Jesus. John, the greatest that ever was, born of woman, the greatest that ever was, John says, there's a guy coming. There's a a man coming. There's a Savior coming. I'm not even that good. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And I want my life to be about pointing toward him. I want to be a witness unto him. And now Jesus rolls on the scene. Look at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world! Double exclamation point there. That's why I shout it. That's a, plus a couple of you were nodding off, and I just want to make sure you're awake. <laughs> But I don't think when Jesus rolls on the scene and John figures out who Jesus is. I mean, John always knew Jesus. They were cousins. And in that day and age, they rolled together all the time. They would go to family feasts and they would hang out in barbecues. And, and John knew Jesus. It wasn't like they were distant cousins. But all of a sudden, John sees Jesus with a greater light and a greater understanding. And he says, Behold, there he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's, that's what we were waiting for. That's who we're, we're watching for. That's what my life is about is to point to this guy. Here he is. I just imagine the passion of John, the excitement of John bubbling over. We're here. It's, a, it's like the kid waiting for the vacation. Only three more sleeps until we get to go to Florida. Only two more sleeps. Until we, and, but John doesn't know how many more sleeps until Jesus comes. And then he sort rolls on the scene and he's like, there it is! Woohoo!" Woo-hoo. Yeah. He's excited. Quite an intro. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He goes on to say, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water and John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. I love that. John bore witness saying, he's he's explaining what was happening in, in his life. God told me, I was out in the desert, I was, you know, munching on some locusts, a little wild honey, it tastes not too bad. Got this camel skin thing going on, we're hoping it catches on in, in Paris. And he's just chilling out there in the desert. And God says, hey, get off your butt, go in there and start making the path straight. There's a, there's a day coming. I'm going to show you who he is, and the way I'm going to show you, I'm going to let the, the Spirit of God descend upon him like a dove. You just go preach repentance until that happens. John's wants to be faithful. He's a prophet of God. OK, He gets up and he goes. Hey, I just been I didn't know who he was. but it happened. The Spirit of God descended on Jesus, lighted on him, landed like a dove in that moment, in the baptism, and that's where we get our symbol from. For Calvary Chapel, it's a downward dove. It's the, the spirit descending. And he's like, I just need to tell people about it. I just want to talk about it. I just want to explain it I, because it's so cool the way God revealed it to me. I want to bear witness to it. What does that mean? What's a, what, I don't know if you've been called as a witness in a court case if you've had to take the stand before. But the the object or the point of you bearing witness or becoming a witness for somebody is so that you can tell your point of view, your point of the story, the way you understand the story. That's exactly what John is doing here. This is is what happened. I I, I was told to go preach. I went to preach. Someday the the Spirit's going to descend on somebody like a dove, and that's going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I was faithful to do it. That's what happened. Ta-da! I'm bearing witness. I'm telling about it. I'm talking about it. Remember, again, John the Baptist, great model for you and I. Our lives should be a witness. Our lives should be about less of me and more of him. Let's be a witness to who Jesus is to us. Verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold! the Lamb of God! Exclamation point. <laughs> I like yelling. <laughs> <laughs> do it. I like this. Jesus is revealed as the Christ, as the Savior to John the Baptist. And the first two times he's encountered him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the hearing of Jesus, as Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry, as Jesus is beginning his public ministry, the very first things he hears twice, Behold the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the world. It's almost like God is saying through John, Hey, look, yes, your ministry is just starting, but remember the end's already set. There's a day coming, Jesus, you have to die. The Lamb of God will be sacrificed. And John is just saying, there he is. Don't know when it's going to happen. Don't, you don't know, Jesus, that, you have, that there's three years in front of you. you don't, John didn't know that. But there's a day coming where he will fulfill all the prophecies that were given, and he will become the Lamb sacrificed. And so that's what he says. Hey, remember, the ending is already set. John hanging out with two of his disciples, that just simply means students, those that were following John. It says in verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, Christians, that is a perfect example of a successful ministry if you can take somebody and and pull them into you and and, and shelter them for a time and cover them in in the shadow of your wing, and while you do, explain to them Jesus so much so that they understand, you bear witness to that, that they leave you and follow Jesus, it's a successful ministry. And that's what happened with John's disciples. There he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And his two followers are like, bye. And I don't think John had any issue with that at all. Because his life wasn't about him. Yeah, go follow Jesus. That's what I want you to do. That's what our hearts should be as well. Follow Jesus is what I want you to do. So these two disciples start following Jesus. Jesus walking down the road and they're they're following behind. I love this scene, verse 38. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them what do you seek and they say to him rabbi which is translated teacher where are you staying that's that's just think about the scene for a minute they're like john they they leave john john's you know in the wilderness and now they're following jesus i'd imagine probably at a little bit of a distance and jesus is like well what are you guys doing what, what do you seek? And it's almost like, oh, he's talking to us. Oh, uh, um, well, uh, uh. They, you know, looking at their shoes and, and kicking. And so the first thing that comes to mind is, where are you staying? <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what they're seeking. <laughs> they just are. But, 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 Jesus, what, where are you staying? I'm at the Holiday Inn Express. Just down the road. Had a good night's sleep. Never mind. I like what Jesus answers. He says to them, he said to them, come and see. Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and he remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. Jesus doesn't say, oh, you want to know where I'm staying? I'm, I'm down on the corner of broad and long at the hotel there. If you just you know, take this street and you turn left and then, and then about three paces down there's be the hotel and that's where I'm at. I'll see you there later. That's not what Jesus ever does. He says, come on. Come and see. Have you ever tried to follow directions on a cell phone? Hey, hey, I don't know how to get here. Could you tell me how to get here? Yeah, I'll be happy to. First you go down, you know, jump on 670 East, and then you, you know, jump on 71 South, and there's a broad street exit. You got to get over to the right really, really quick. And usually by then you've missed it and you're trying, still trying to eat your bowl of cereal and put your mascara on and, and you're driving and texting. And, and so it's, it, you know getting directions is hard enough as it is. It's hard to follow directions on a cell phone, I think. But if you call up somebody and you say, I'm lost, I don't know how to get home, and they say, where are you? I'm on the corner of Broad and Long. I'll be right there. And they come and they say, just follow me. Just follow me. It's so much easier. You just lock into their taillights and you just drive and you follow them. You don't have to worry about what street you're on. You don't have to worry. They know where they're going. You just follow them. And that's what Jesus says. He doesn't tell them where to go or where he's staying. He said, come on, come and see. Come and see. Great invitation for you and I. Just come and see. He says that to you and me as well. Now what's interesting about that little parenthetical statement there in the end of verse 39, now it was about the 10th hour. Just you know, they wanted to tell us what time it was. To me, what that might say, and I'm not real sure about this, is somebody was paying very close attention to the details when they met Jesus, these two disciples, and we know one of them is going to be um, Andrew. We're not sure who the other one was, but if I had to guess, I'd bet it was John, our author. Because he remembered, "Hey, it was about the 10th hour that I met this guy. Just a guess, not for sure. Um, that's 6 p.m, I believe. 6, four p.m. Yeah. Um, follow me. Verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You're Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now we're going to run into Peter a whole lot. I love Peter. He, I don't know why I identify with him and because he's a dumb blockhead, just like I am. He's a rockhead. <laughs> we're going to call you stone because you are. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, that's not why Jesus calls him stone. It's because at the end of his ministry, he says, um, you know, based on your faith, based on your statement that you are the Christ, upon that I will build my church and you will become the stone. And so, but Peter is a blockhead. Peter does dumb things. I identify. He puts his foot in his mouth more often than any of the other disciples. At least we're told that. I get a mental picture of, Jesus, of Peter. I don't know what he looked like, but I imagine him kind of big, like me, and kind of hairy, like me, and, and, and uh, you know just kind of rough and, and tatted out and smoking, chain smoking. Have you guys seen Deadliest Catch? Right, he Peter was a fisherman. Look at the captains of the deadliest catch. That's Peter. Chain smoking, cussing, you know, just gnarly. That's how I picture Peter. And Jesus saves him, cleans him up. And so this is our introduction to Peter. But what I want to glean from this little statement is not about Peter, it's about Andrew. Check out what Andrew does. Andrew, one of the first disciples to meet Jesus, he's like, oh, man, this is him. This is the Messiah. I need to tell somebody. Who should I go tell? Who should I? I I know, I'll go get my brother. I'll go get Simon, and I'm going to bring him here. And so Andrew runs, goes to get Simon. Hey, we found him. We found the Messiah. You got to come see. Come on, come, come on, come on. And so Peter does, and he brings him. And what's cool about Andrew, we don't know a whole lot about him, but that's what he does with his entire life. At least that's what the scriptures reveal to us. That We, we kind of run into him three different times. Andrew, he brings, first brings Simon and says, here's Jesus. And then a little bit down the road, there's about uh, a whole bunch of people that are a little bit hungry. And so Andrew finds this little kid, and this little kid has his lunchable lunch in his lunch pail, you know, five loaves and two fish. That, that's, that's literally like the size of a lunchable. And he says, hey, come here. Come here, kid. And he brings them to Jesus. And Jesus blesses it and feeds the multitude with it. And then a little bit further down the road, there's a Greek contingent, a group of guys that said, they come to Andrew and they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Andrew's like, let's go. And he takes them, takes them to Jesus. And that's what evidently Andrew's life was entirely about. Another great example for you and I. That's what our lives are to be about, Christians, people, brothers, sisters. That's what our lives are to be about. Let me take you to Jesus. Let me, let me show you. Come and see. Come on, follow me. Let's go to Jesus. Our entire lives should be about that. Just like John the Baptist, just like Andrew. Verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. So he's he's getting his posse together. The disciples are all coming together. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Probably worked with Andrew and Peter. Now Philip is doing the same thing Andrew does. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, "We have found him of whom the whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph." Now it's quick, but that's hilarious to me because Philip says, hey, we found him. We found him. Now look at verse 43 again. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Philip's now saying, hey, we found him. Jesus is like, no, I, I found you. <laughs> I-, I found you. And we do that, don't we? We're quick to take that glory. Oh, we found him. No, 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 no. <laughs> no he-, he found you. <laughs> he found you. So... A good deal. Just funny. And we found him. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. I love this. And I don't think this is a racial slur in any connotation. I don't think this is a put down on the people of Nazareth in any kind of way. That's what some commentators would say. What I think, and what we're going to understand as we finish out this chapter, Nathaniel was a student of the Word. Nathaniel knew the scriptures. Nathaniel knew the prophecies of the Messiah to come, and so when Philip comes and says, "Hey, we found him, this Messiah Jesus of Nazareth, he's calculating he's going ha ah, that's not no that that can't be that that can't be he's not no nothing good comes of nazareth he, he's from Bethlehem. He's, he's, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to come out of Galilee, but it doesn't say anything about Nazareth. So how could this? How could Jesus of Nazareth be the Messiah? How is that possible? And what I love about Philip is he doesn't know. You know, Nathaniel's like, well, it doesn't add up. How? How's that possible? And, and Nathaniel or Philip goes, doesn't go. Uh, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know. We had a meeting with our volunteers last night, our door holders. I changed their name. And I closed out the meeting with some direction as we, we cast the vision for what, how we serve here at Calvary Chapel, our volunteers. I love what we do. I love the way they serve. But I said, it's going inevitably going to happen. As you volunteer here at this church, a day will come when somebody will come and ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. Hey, where are the donuts? Ah. So I told them, you are not allowed to say, I don't know. That you may never answer a question here at church with, I don't know. What you will say instead is, I will find out for you. And then you take it upon your shoulders to find out the answer to their question. That's exactly what Philip does with Nathaniel. He goes, uh, "I don't know the scriptures as well as you do, Nathaniel, but I, I Galilee, I, uh, uh, Bethlehem, I, uh, Nazareth, I, <laughs> come and see. How about, how about you come check it out, Nathaniel? Yeah, I don't know the answer. That's what he's saying. But why don't you come and see? And that's what our life should be about." hey, I want to be a witness, I want to be a testimony, I want to tell how good God is. Hey, you're going to ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. There's there's theological debates that I don't understand. I don't know, but why don't you come to church? Why don't you come check it out? Why don't you experience it for yourself? As you're talking with an unbeliever, ask them the question, hey man, isn't your eternity worth two hours of your time that you could, could read the Gospel of John? That's why the gospel was written. That's what we read last week in chapter 20. It's so that, so that you might believe and then when as you believe, you might have eternal life in him. So unbeliever, as I'm trying to share with you, as I'm trying to bear witness to what God has done in my life, isn't it worth your time to maybe read this for a couple hours? Isn't it worth your time to spend a couple weeks in church? Come and see. It's a great opportunity, great way to just ask people, hey, I, I don't have all the answers. I don't know for sure. Come and see. Come and see, because I know that as God is lifted up, Jesus said, as I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That's what we do here at church. We lift up the name of Jesus. So you bring somebody to church and, and, and expose them to the Scriptures, and, and, and we lift up the name of Jesus, and, and, and God moves in a way that He says to that person, hey, follow me. And all you did was say, hey, come and see. Come and see. Invite, invite, draw people. Nathanael does. He doesn't just leave it as a question. Philip says, hey, come and see. Nathanael does. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom is no deceit. Now that's very interesting. Nathanael rolls on the scene. Jesus is there and he sees Nathanael coming. And what does he say? Hey, check it out. There's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. There ain't no fool in him, and he doesn't fool nobody. What is he saying? Well, it's kind of interesting. The that word for deceit can also be translated guile, or heel catcher, or Jacob. In whom there is no Jacob, in him in whom there is no no deceit, no heel catching. Why would Jesus say that to Nathaniel? Well, as we finish the chapter, it's my belief that Nathaniel was studying the Scriptures and probably was meditating on this Jacob experience, the, the dream that Jacob had there in the Old Testament. He lays his head down on a rock and he has this dream about angels ascending and descending on a ladder. I think that he was meditating on those things and considering those things. And so when Jesus sees Nathaniel through the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, hey look, in him there's no deceit. And at that point, Nathaniel was like, hmm, interesting. Keep reading. Nathaniel said to him, verse 48, How do you know me? Yo, how do you know me? (laughs) I don't know if he said it like that. Jesus answered and said to him, Hey, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now that is awesome. Through the power of the Spirit, Jesus gleans this little bit of information before Philip even calls Nathanael. He sees Nathanael under the fig tree. Now, what does that mean? Was he just chilling, you know, drinking lemonade? The fig tree offered some nice shade in that day, and he was just relaxing. That was an expression used in those days under the fig tree. The rabbis would use that, and it meant, I'm going to meditate on the Scriptures, When they said, I I want to, you know, study the word of God. I want to study the scriptures. They would say, I'm going under the fig tree. And so Jesus says, I saw you meditating on the scriptures. I saw what you were reading. I know that you were reading Jacob. I saw you under the fig tree studying the scriptures. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said you saw, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? I, just a little bit of insight from the Spirit. You will see greater things than these, and certainly Nathanael does. But that's what caught him. You knew what I was studying? By the power of the Spirit. And he finishes the, the, the verse of the chapter. And he, he being Jesus, he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God descending or ascending and descending on a ladder no upon the son of man and So Nathaniel's sitting there and he's contemplating the scriptures Philip comes and he says hey we found him Jesus and come and see How's that possible Jesus how what how's that Okay And he goes, and Jesus, the interaction one-on-one with Nathaniel. Hey, I saw you. I saw that you were studying Jacob. I saw that you were sitting under the fig tree. You had this going on. And I want to let you know that greater things are yet to come, and and you're going to be blown away by some of the things that happen. So much so that the angels are going to ascend and descend on me. That this ladder, this way that we come to heaven is me. And at that point, Nathaniel's hooked. All right, I'm in. Now what I love about this chapter is is just the the spectrum of it. Because we start in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We start at the beginning of time. We start before creation. We start with talking about how great and how wonderful and how big our God is. He holds the heavens in the span of His hand. And we get to verse 14. And that God, that great big God, came and dwelt with us so much so that the one that created all things in him all things were created it said "Is now looking at nathaniel in the eyes i said i saw you i saw you i know the stars i know every one of their names i know the number of hairs on every person's head that ever was and I saw you just the way our God does. Heavens are His. All things, Colossians said, were created for Him. And He says, I'm going. I'm going to put on that skin and I'm going to live that life and I'm going to die that death because I see Just like he saw nothing. And our very, very big God becomes very, very personable and very, very intimate with each and every one of us. That is amazing grace. And I pray that as we go forward, that much would be made of Jesus. And His love for us. I pray that we as a church would become like John. That we would become like Andrew. That we would become like Philip and say, I don't know all the answers. Come and see. Come and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to hold the door open for you so that you can come and see. May our lives be like that. Bearing Witness to our loving God. That's what it's about. Let's stand and let's close in prayer. Oh God, this scripture is wonderful and overwhelming. I thank you, Jesus, that you made a way that we might come into your presence that You came to us, O God, that You dwelt among us. Lord, that You looked Nathaniel in the eyes and You look at our hearts now. I pray that our lives would be about lifting up the name of Jesus, that Jesus, You would draw all men to Yourself. Lord, that we as a church would be about proclaiming the goodness, the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, because Your Word does not return void that You would be magnified and glorified by more and more people because we are bearing witness to Your goodness. Empower us through Your Spirit to speak of You to those that You have placed in our lives, that others may come and see how good You are. In Jesus' name, amen.